Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown, joined by my esteemed colleague at Horns 24-7, the one and only Eric Henry. We are the flagship podcast. And full disclosure, we're recording the day after Valentine's Day. Is that Galentine's Day? Eric, is that- yeah, I mean, if you are a single woman in these Austin streets, then I, I've seen them uh, turn into Galentine's Day. You know, it's, it's a shame, Chip. We don't have our own thing. Listen, not, not that I am mad. You know, the the ladies certainly deserve uh, a lot. You know, but I, I wouldn't be mad if we. I guess technically, what like every day is like Bros Day, right? If we want to make it that, <laughs> you know. So, well, for you singles out there, Eric. Um, Tonight's the night then to go hit downtown. I don't I don't want to be putting your business out there, but <laughs> Eric does live in downtown Austin. I mean, he's got the life, you know, the that life. That's correct. So, but enough about uh, Galentine's Day and Eric Henry hitting the social scene here in Austin. Football season never ends here on the flagship podcast. And Eric, this week, we have a lot to talk about. We have NFL combine invites going out. We had um, uh, Chris Del Conte holding his town hall meeting. We have a lot of little uh, nuggets to touch on from his town hall meeting. And winter conditioning is in week three. And as we approach a month out from the beginning of spring football on March 19th, of course, basketball. Um, Rodney Terry's team getting ready to take on Houston this weekend. Uh, Texas women's basketball continues to roll. And baseball season starts uh, Friday with the Longhorns taking on San Diego at Dishfalk Field uh, with the debut of the Yeti Yard. This is a cool new viewing spot for Texas fans in left field. We'll get into that. Um, but Eric, uh, probably the big news early in this week was the NFL combine invites going out 11 Texas players, uh, Jonathan Brooks, Keelan Robinson, A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, uh, Jatavian Sanders, Christian Jones, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Jalen Ford, and Ryan Watts. 11. That is a record for the Longhorns to have invited to the NFL Combine. Last year, they had five. The year before, they had zero. Or is that or is that right? Or did, was it only uh, maybe it was that was the year that it was Josh uh, Thompson and, and Cameron Dicker. Nonetheless, the numbers are moving in the right direction, folks. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian who addressed this last week uh, when we had a press conference for no no players signing on signing day because signing day is now in December. But he said, hey, as we progress as a program, these numbers of players going to the NFL Combine, getting drafted, are they should go up. And here we are, Eric, a Big 12 championship, first berth in the college football playoff, and now nearly a dozen Longhorns heading to Indianapolis at the end of this month. Chip, yeah, you, you probably only make a face when you had said zero, even if that number is two, 
uh, two years ago. There's never a reason that Texas football should have anything less than five, unless for some drastic reason, you know, they are a severely young team. I guess don't have a ton of upperclassmen, right? Like that's the only thing I can think of. And yeah, I was actually zero drafted okay. after that 2021 season, but Cameron Dicker and Josh Thompson did go to the combine. And, and I just say that, Chip, as someone who, you know, you've heard me reference, you know, from time to time on this pod, covered group of five football for, you know, five and a half seasons. And I've seen years there where you see several G5 teams send two, three, four, five kids to the combine, right? So there should never be a reason that Texas football has even two um, talent infusion. There's no doubt about it. It's the one thing, Chip, that I think if you're a Texas fan, listen, the proof is in the pudding. You know, the amount of wins, the level of success that happened this year, certainly no accident. But let's just per, you know, hypothesize, Chip, that let's just say for whatever reason, Texas was left out of the CFP, right? And Florida State was in and, and Texas ended up in the Cotton Bowl or whatever it may be. The proof is in the pudding that Steve Sarkeesian has, in fact, infused a level of talent on this roster that hasn't been seen in a very long time. 11 players going to Indy. I think if my memory serves me correct, only two or three more teams in the nation. I know Michigan led the way, I believe, with 15, if my memory serves 18. me correct. 18, 18. Washington, uh, 13, and Florida, Florida State, State, 12. Yep. It's only three programs sent more kids to this year's NFL Combine than Texas. And these are, you know, you take a look by and large. I think the big thing that I take away from it is, I mean, Chip, and maybe we can revisit this and get a little bit closer to the draft. I, we got to be looking at at least six, seven Longhorns that should be drafted in my mind. You know, I, some of the prognostications I went ahead and, you know, posted earlier the, this week for the site, Pro Football Focus has five Longhorns potentially going in the first two days of the draft. It's not even including, I guess I should run down the names and see if I can remember offhand. They had Byron Murphy, uh, A.D. Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders. Um, who am I missing? Uh, Andre Sweat. And, Andre Sweat. And yeah, as, as the five guys going in the first two days. So that's not even, you know, including, you know, guys like uh, uh, Jalen Ford or Christian Jones, you think have to be locks to be day three picks and depending on how their combine and pro days fare out, they could easily slide into, or I shouldn't say easily, but have the potential to slide into day two. Right. So that really shows Chip, and you talked about it even during the season that this is a special team, right? I think we were in the, in the midst of, you know, being in the, is Texas back and hoping that they can, you know, first qualify for the CFP and then possibly beat Washington and, and what might come from there. Right. But to really step back and look at the fact that this roster was something special uh, is, listen, this is something that I think you got to appreciate. And when you you take a look back at the season in Texas lore, this is in my mind, Chip, it's just adding to how special of a season this was for Longhorns. Yeah. I mean, you look at it and uh, you know, Jonathan Brooks who tore his ACL, um, He's, he's going to the combine. He'll take part in non-football activities, uh, the interviews, medical. I mean, um, but if if Keelan Robinson runs well, if Jordan Whittington um, runs well, if Christian Jones 
performs well like he did at the Senior Bowl, um, Jalen Ford and Ryan Watts, those are the those are the questionable guys. I think if they test well, you know, we could be looking at nine or ten Longhorns drafted, and this this will be interesting because I've said with Steve Sarkeesian coming to Texas. He's going to attract the top-end skill talent. The NFL loves Steve Sarkeesian's skill talent because the skill talent that came out of his Alabama teams, it was Jalen Waddell and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and, I mean, John Mechie and Devontae Smith, for crying out loud, and those guys are all performing well in the NFL. So as long as players are coming out of a program and they perform well in the NFL, the NFL will keep coming back. And that's, I mean, when we talk about the fact that Texas did not have a single offensive lineman drafted for nine years in seven rounds from Tony Hills being drafted in the fourth round um, by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2008. And then no offensive lineman drafted from Texas until Connor Williams in the second round of 2018. You want to know why Texas has been out in the desert wandering around like a nomad in the world of college football? That's why you went up front and Texas, like I talked to NFL people and they still cannot believe it. They're like, that is like you fall into a guy who develops. And yet one drafted somewhere in nine years, none. And, and that, uh, you know, those days are over. I mean, you're talking about Christian Jones, who, what a story that is. Cause I thought after his playing left tackle in 2021, it was not good. It was not pretty. I was like, okay, this, this is not working. Um, and then all of a sudden Kyle flood flips him over to the right side and, Suddenly he gets this comfort level and confidence. And now he's a guy who was seen as a plus performer at the senior bowl and could end up being drafted. That is an amazing story of development by Kyle flood and, and Steve Sarkeesian and perseverance on Christian Jones part. So there's a lot of good stories in these 11 players going to Indy. I mean, obviously, A.D. Mitchell, the guy who caught a touchdown pass in every college, you know, played in three straight college football playoffs, caught a touchdown in every single CFP game. Xavier Worthy, freshman All-American, all that, J.T. Sanders. But then you look at the fact that Steve Sarkeesian brings in Isaiah Bond from Alabama, who would have been Alabama's number one receiver. Amari Nyblack, their stretch of the field tight end from Alabama. Um, and, you know, Silas Bolden, Burner from Oregon State. Suddenly, Eric, we were like, who's Quinn Ewers going to throw to? Now it's like, oh, my God, he's got too many guys to throw to because you still have Jontae Cook and Ryan Niblett, DeAndre Moore, who are returning from um, last year's team. But the, you know, the big money guy, I mean, the two big money guys, the two top you know, high, highest rated interior defensive lineman in college football, according to pro football focus, Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, those guys, um, 
are about to make some some money too. So this is look, this is the kind of stuff that was being held against Texas in recruiting. They weren't sending guys to the league. You don't want to go there. They don't develop their players. I mean, um, good heavens, the uh, uh, the wideout from like Travis who went to Ohio State, uh, Garrett uh, Wilson, Wilson said they don't develop their players, not going there. And those days are gone. Now that was under Tom Herman. Steve Sarkeesian's not going to have that problem. He's he's getting kind of whatever he wants in terms of the of the skill talent. So um, it had been a good long while, Eric. So since Vince Young, that Texas had a first round draft pick before Bijan Robinson last year. Vince Young uh, in the 06 NFL draft, 17 short years ago. I mean, this is uh, it's a new day. Chip, I, I don't want to put you in a bad position. So hopefully you can answer this and, and you're not, you know, divulging anything uh, that you wouldn't. But I feel like there's a natural follow up. I just want to ask really quick. Uh, I, I was having a conversation with someone. I'll, I'll leave unnamed, but a Texas aficionado. I was down here downtown and grabbing dinner. And uh, Chip, they told me that prior to Steve Sarkeesian, that whoever time period you want to stretch this statement to, um, Texas had a reputation not not only of not developing players, but essentially that guys would leave high school, end up at Texas, and it was kind of like a country club environment. They weren't being pushed, whether it was in the weight room or essentially, you know, something was missing, not just in terms of on-field development, but even like physical toughness development for the next level. Does that sound yeah, I mean, I used to joke that Mac Brown should have to make a $50,000 contribution to his favorite charity every time he said the word physical because his teams weren't physical. He he had an unbelievable recruiting class in 2002 that had guys like Justin Blaylock and Lyle Senline and Casey Stuttered, three starters on the offensive linemen uh, for that 2005 national championship team, Rod Wright. Uh, starting defensive lineman on that 05 national championship team. He got a great batch of recruits in 01 and 02. And those players decided we're not getting labeled soft because that was following the, the major Applewhite Chris Sims era where they, well, Chris Sims era, unfortunately, they got housed by OU. OU won the national championship in 2000. Roy Williams, who's a ends up being a first round draft pick, receiver, freak athlete. Uh, BJ Johnson, Sloan Thomas, none of those three players caught a touchdown pass against OU in their four years. Oh wow! At Texas, like that kind of stuff is ridiculous. Now, fortunately, they had Cedric Benson, R.I.P. Cedric Benson, who was just a just such a tough punishing runner who gave Texas, you know, the persona of, you know, being um, physical and that those teams, Oh, four, Oh, five, they were, but by the time we got to Oh nine, like that offensive line, no disrespect to them. They played for a national championship and they deserve that, that kudo. But I mean, if you watch the big 12 championship game in Oh nine, 
with Indomitian Sue and Jared Crick, they were throwing Texas's offensive line around and then throwing Colt McCoy around like a rag doll. I think Indomitian Sue had four and a half sacks in that game. Um, Colt McCoy was lucky to get out of that game alive, and somehow Texas won it on a 47-yard field goal um, by Hunter Lawrence, I think. His time expired. So, yeah, it was a problem. It was a problem. And, you know, Mac, they called him Mac the Nice. And he was incredible. You know, parents wanted their kids to play for him. He and Sally, they were they were the parents of the family in locker room atmosphere. It was great. But you weren't walking out of those games a lot of times saying, man, what a physical beating um, that that Texas administered. It was a lot of finesse and playmaking on the outside. So, um, yeah, and again, most of that was from 09 to where we are now. And uh, Tom Herman's teams were physical, but good God, he was just a piece of work as a coach um, in the way that he – sort of used fear to get everyone to play hard. And, uh, and you know, if he doesn't go for a fake punt up 10 in 2020 in the third quarter against Iowa state, and they win that game, um, you know, they would have played in the big 12 championship that year. And, and who knows, but by the end of that season, Texas was done with Tom Herman more off the field, more the way that he was carrying out his duties and, you know, whether he respected his chain of command or not, than the results on the football field. So, yeah, that was a very long-winded answer to your question, Eric, but um, it is a new day. It literally is a new day. No, sorry for, for throwing it off there. So I had to uh, ask you that really quick. I know you want to transition to some winter conditioning stuff, but I'll just quickly, you know, follow up. Yeah, one thing you, you're not going to say about these teams is that they're not physical is that they don't have an attitude about them. And that, that all stems from the culture, right? You know, it, it, from the sounds of what you're saying, it doesn't sound like you're going to have a, a night game at Iowa state in which you send, you know, 90 and 93 out to midfield and say, all right, yeah, you, you want to question us? Well, you know, show us what you got. Right. So definitely a shift on the 40 acres, but yeah, I know you want to transition some, some winter condition stuff. So let's get at it, Chip. Yeah. Um, winter conditioning. We're, we're, you know, checking in on the, the leadership and who's standing out in winter conditioning. And um, we know that Quinn Ewers is sort of the tip of the spear leader of this football team right now, but um, you're, you're kind of watching to see what names are floating to the top on the defensive side of the ball. And a name that I heard this week quite a bit, Maurice Blackwell, um, the, you know, strong side linebacker, former safety, just a guy who loves to hit, loves to fly around. He's healthy and he's a guy who's a rising senior. And, um, you know, head sources tell me he's clearly rising to the occasion, knows it's his time as a senior on this team to um, take a leadership role and is is doing that. A lot of it by example, just being at the front of the lines. Um, but you think about Mo Blackwell, David Benda, and then you bring in Kendrick Blackshire, who's a rising senior transfer from Alabama, who is a very interesting character um, 
Eric, because he was the backup middle linebacker for Alabama last year, and he graded higher, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, than um, you know Tresman Marshall, the Georgia transfer who came in and and was the starting middle linebacker, and you know Deontay Lawson, Kendrick Blackshire played 102 snaps, higher rated than than Deontay Lawson, the weak side linebacker at Alabama. So. Um, you know, Blackshire is a guy who is feels like he still has what it takes to be a starting middle linebacker for a championship type team. And, um, you know, sources told me they love his maturity. Obviously, they look at his film and say, his film looks good. Like, this is a guy who can compete for the job uh, here at Texas with Jalen Ford moving on. Obviously, you've got you know, David Benda can play middle. He can play weak side. You've got Anthony Hill can play everywhere. Um, and Leonga Lafau, who, you know, Jeff Choate told us at the Sugar Bowl, uh, he called him, quote, an elite pass dropper. Now, that's great. You also need your middle linebacker to be rough, tough, physical, and, you know, one of those mission control guys who everyone rallies around. So uh, that's going to be a fun position to watch in spring football chip listen uh, a couple directions i want to go with this one you can't have enough talent at the linebacker spot sure i understand today's college football a lot of times you're only playing two linebackers right because you got that star you got that nickel out there but it, the situation situationally when you have three linebackers out there especially in the sec you are going to face some teams who you know are going to throw some things out at you will allow you to play more of a base set can't have enough linebackers with lafau Chip, I mean, sure, you're 100% correct. You, you got to have a Mike linebacker who's <laughs> willing to mix it up and get dirty and, you know, be that guy who's going to take someone's head off. I honestly think, um, you know, in terms of being someone who's an elite dropper, that necessarily makes you a finesse guy. But I, I almost like that quality, Chip, because how many times last year did we see Jalen Ford be that guy who just was a presence around the football, right? And by no means am I calling Jalen a finesse guy, but I do think you need some of that, right? That linebacker who just plays the pass really well uh with Kendra Blackshire listen again if he's someone who comes in and and ends up competing for a starting spot and all the better I you talk about Mo Blackwell I want to bounce this off your you know kind of get your thoughts on this I don't know why Chip and I just could have I could be misguided on this but I, I don't know David Benda, in my mind, is, is someone who I think he is who he is. And listen, maybe Benda could prove me wrong, and there's another step to his game that with his building confidence, he goes to another level, possibly, right? And that's great. Um, but I still view him probably more as a platoon guy. We know what Anthony Hill can do with jack-of-all-trades. Probably going to be a monster once he truly learns what he's doing out there and isn't just a heat-seeking missile. But the Mo Blackwell piece, Chip, am I off base? He's smaller than Jet Bush, but... He always, once he got healthy with the injury, was around the ball making plays. Can he kind of fill that pass rusher spot? Again, smaller than Jet Bush, what would be, you know, a, 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 a quicker guy off the edge. But I, for some reason, that just seems to be like the natural fit as someone who you can, and we, how many times, Chip, did we see Mo Blackwell when, when Jade Barron? Uh, would either get shifted to the outside or even sometimes we play safety. Mo Blacko will step in and be that nickel, right? Because that's his natural sense. There's a role for him. But also just, again, Chip, it seems like a natural heat-seeking missile kind of filling that Jet Bush specialized pass rusher 
rolled it, it off base to you or what do you think no i mean they once once mo blackwell got healthy and they put him in to that kind of third down package where they moved anthony hill up to the line they took ethan burke out put anthony hill up and brought mo blackwell in as sort of the spy for running quarterbacks he he had a you know big role against k-state in limiting um avery johnson they they didn't even waste their time with avery johnson because he wasn't going anywhere and and he helped limit will howard uh in the ground game and and when teams went heavier and initially earlier in the year they were taking jotty baron off the field which okay well every team's gonna go heavy then to get one of the best players on the defense off the field they because of that whatever third down hybrid package they were able to keep jade baron in um and basically have him at the linebacker level with jalen ford and mo blackwell because anthony hill again was up on the line so you know i think they found ways to use mo blackwell where you know i think with spring football and the turnover at the linebacker position with jalen ford moving on um i think they can get creative because mo blackwell is he's a football player i mean right. he makes plays and you gotta you gotta have that guy you gotta have that guy who isn't afraid on the you know when OU's driving down the field to make a play and and some of that's the coaching some of that's don't play so much soft coverage um which on a really hot day when you've had guys out there for what Jalen Ford played every snap of that football game so you know I think they need depth there's no question Jalen Ford probably played too many snaps certainly in the OU game but probably all year I mean they were fortunate he he was healthy and made it through um so I think it's going to be uh an interesting spring at the linebacker position while we find out who's best at what and what roles but um i'm excited about mo blackwell and i i kind of agree with you about david benda um you know he obviously wanted to come back and kind of have what happened for jalen ford happen for him like i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna take my game up to a new level and and he's capable of that physically he is a yeah. specimen i mean yeah. he is a quad zilla guy yeah oh i mean he is put together so the alabama play sorry i, I did not cut you off but that's yeah. the first thing that comes to mind there you go. yeah yeah he gets cut and he gets up and he gets the sack on third down i mean he is a he's an electric athlete and and if he knows where he's going and what he's doing you know i mean look he kind of froze on on the last play of the ou game um, it looks like Derek Williams is trying to pass off, um, you know, Nick Anderson, but it didn't happen for whatever reason. And David Benda kind of froze and, um, Anderson got behind him, but that's, that's what cannot happen. And, and, and another year of experience for all these guys should, should make a big difference. So, um, other names from winter conditioning. You know, Matthew Golden is a lead by example guy, but is, you know, setting a standard. Same with Isaiah Bond. So those two have come in with a purpose. I mean, 
they saw what A.D. Mitchell did, and they're both looking to do the same thing, Eric. I mean, they they want to come in. They want to light it up in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, and they want to go on to the NFL. So those are two guys who are highly motivated. And then when you look at the – and and Amari Nyblak, uh, the Alabama tight end, stretch the field guy who – one source told me he can do everything Jatavian Sanders does. We got to see if he can make the catches in traffic that, that, you know, and run the routes that Sanders ran, but this guy can fly. I mean, he's, he might be even a little faster than Jatavian Sanders. He's listed at 233. JT was at 243. Uh, they're both right there at 6'4. So that could be one of the pickups of, you know, the portal for Texas going into this 24 season and then continue to hear really good things about um, Xavier Filsimi as a guy who's just all about business and, uh, you know, runs really well, picks everything up quickly. So uh, Andrew Makuba, I was told, has only been in workouts for two days. So, Whatever it was that was delaying him, um, he, you know, he's been in school, but for whatever reason, he just now has started in with the winter conditioning. So uh, if you're wondering, well, what about the other transfers? Andrew Makuba is uh, is just now getting going here in winter conditioning. Listen, Chip, I'll kind of swing around the horn. So to finish off the thought on Mo Blackwell, I'm going to kind of liken him and we'll see how it works out. The Jordan Whittington the defense, a guy who just, again, you know, maybe just because it's so much death at that position, doesn't get as much shine as he would like, but it has a jack of all trades, all intangibles. And in terms of Xavier Filsimi, Andrew Makuba, listen, you after the way the season played out last year, it, it's no shade on the secondary. You just obviously know you'd like to see some improved play there. We've talked ad nauseum about the safety rotation and was it a byproduct of no one jumping out or everyone just needs to be on the field. We shall see. I, I think the best case scenario, you and I both agree. If there's going to be a rotation, maybe it's three elite guys as opposed to five or six, right? So we'll see how that plays out as well. The receiver room, and I'm going to include um, uh, Amari Nyblak in there. So I'll just say receivers and targets can't have enough of those guys. Chip, I'm of the belief, and I know we're going to transition here in a second, but I'll just give it to you on this. I'm of the belief, Chip, that it, it, there's a fine line between a guy like an Anthony Hill who you just can't keep off the field and you're going to use him situationally and a freshman who, hey, if we have guys like a Matthew Gold, like, you know, uh, 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 um, come on, uh, Isaiah, Bond. Isaiah Bond, Silas Bowen, thank you. Uh, Golden and and Bolden are is gonna throw me off all year, so I've got to I've got to find yeah. to, to 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 get that together. But my point is, if you have all of those guys and you can bring along even Jonte, right, who was ahead of the pack last year, um, but if you can bring them along and, and Ryan Niblett and Ryan Wingo and those guys can kind of just gradually come along, I I don't have an issue with that, right? Because of listen, you just stockpile on talent. We just we opened this podcast saying. Uh, the fact that, you know, Texas kind of had a lull of, of not being able to send probably the amount of guys that you expect the Texas program should be sending to the combine. So if you can just stockpile talent and bring it along slowly, I don't have an issue with that. And if these guys can step in and be leaders and be immediate contributors into what we think this team can be, all the better. Yeah. And Colin Simmons, 
I got to mention Colin Simmons because I'm told he's already put on 10 pounds of muscle um, and is just a specimen. So they can't wait to see what, what he can do on the field. He's long, he's got unbelievable bend and he's got good length. Um, you know, is he strong enough to, to deal with some of these, you know, offensive tackles, but he might be fast enough and he can dip. He's got really good bend. Um, so he can get underneath the, uh, the torso of those offensive tackles and kind of, you know, bend around them. And that's, that's the special quality. Um, you know, looking at the film, Eric, Colin Simmons looks like a special talent more so to me than Trey Moore, the, the portal transfer from UTSA. I think that's going to be fascinating because you've got big, strong ends who set the edge in the run and did a really good job in run defense and Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burke. Um, Ethan Burke, I think is just scratching the surface. Remember this kid played lacrosse until, you know, ninth grade. He's just now really figuring out football. You've got Colton Vosick coming back from the back injury, another really big, long guy with a mean streak who was out all last year with a back injury. And then you bring in an electric pass rusher like Colin Simmons. This is going to be really interesting for Pete Kwiatkowski, who coaches the outside linebackers and defensive ends um, to, to manage and platoon. And you still have, you know, Jare Bledsoe and Justice Finkley and Jamon Tapp. That's going to be a really interesting position this spring to kind of sort out what what guys do well and can you find enough roles to keep everybody engaged um but yeah colin simmons is has made an impression um as well okay yeah we've got a lot to get to here yeah. uh chris del conte's town hall meeting i'll just touch on the the biggest news from that um obviously we've been telling you at horns 24 7 about the new football practice facility for <laughs> for about four years telling you that that was coming right there at the school of social work uh all that was confirmed by del conte that it will be construction will begin this summer it will be uh the completion date is uh, april 2025 and um grass for dkr uh for the 2026 season which we had reported that was confirmed new scoreboard coming in um, uh, grab and go concessions, more of those grab and go concessions. Fletcher's corny dogs will be available. Um, it sounds like Texas, Texas A&M is going to be an annual uh, event. And Crystal Conte said his hope is to get it back to Thanksgiving Thursday of Thanksgiving week. Um, he's trying to move the Texas OU game to 2.30. And um, there's a slight decrease in football ticket prices for 2024. Now, there is a seventh home game. So you're going to pay more for your season tickets because you've got seven games this year as opposed to um, less than that, which is the norm. Um, but slight drop in ticket price. And um, Del Conte said it looks like it's going to be an eight-game SEC schedule for 24 and 25 and move toward a nine-game conference schedule in 26, 
We mentioned the Yeti Yard, the new viewing uh, point for Texas baseball. He mentioned a mini Moody, Eric, for, for volleyball because Gregory Gym is a student recreation center that is operated by the Central University, not athletics. So they can't do anything about concessions or LED lighting. And it sounds to me like they're going to add another women's sport. I wouldn't be surprised if it's gymnastics because that's a big sport in the SEC. And then you could have volleyball and gymnastics both in the same arena. Um, But we have no idea where that would go. Um, And the T Association, all the lettermen are going to have a new gathering point in the UT club on the sixth floor of the UT club. So a lot of, a lot of stuff came out of that town hall, Eric. Listen, Chip, uh, you pretty much did an excellent job touching on everything there. So I'm just going to hit on a couple of highlights. One, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I think, and Chris Del Conte said, I guess for listeners who may not know, I'm going to assume you do, but you may not know. Um, when adding a sport, you do kind of have to take into account the demographics of your university, right? For Title IX and a lot of reasons. So that's why you wouldn't see another men's sport added. Um, yeah, and- 62% of the student population at Texas is women. There you go. Um, so with, with that being the case, yes, I, I do think it would make the most sense for gymnastics to be added. And Chip, as someone who, you know, again, I, I don't cover uh, volleyball. However, um, anytime the volleyball team is referenced or mentioned uh, at Moody Center basketball or DKR football, loud ovations. I went back and looked at the numbers. Gregory Gymnasium, uh, I believe, only holds a little over 4,000 people. They are over capacity. Uh, 4,479, I believe, was their average attendance. Fifth in the nation. They deserve a facility of their own. Obviously, you know, as you talk about, not sure where you're going to put it, right? It's not like you just snap your fingers and make one happen. But, Chip, you take a look at women's volleyball across the nation. Um, Was it Nebraska, Chip? If my memory serves me correct, yeah. that played in Memorial Stadium. 2,000 people. I, I don't think – what I have learned, Chip, from my you know short seven months here in Austin is that if there's one or two things that Texas fans appreciate, one, that's a winner, and two, an event. I have no doubt in my mind that whether it was – if you made an event out of it and you put the Texas women's volleyball team and DKR, or if you just want to sell out Moody, people would show up. So – Yes, that, that probably should be on the agenda for Chris Del Conte. I'll just quickly touch on uh, the grab and go. Again, it's, uh, you know, covering uh, the men. Uh, you see how it works at Moody. Really novel concept, one that I wouldn't have thought of uh, myself. So definitely want to see that into DKR. will be pretty efficient for fans to have that. And uh, yeah, again, you pretty much run down everything there. So I just wanted to call out those two things. Yeah, and the beach volleyball. Um, yeah. They've got a locker room. So their locker room is going in where the, what used to be the old cheerleader locker room in DKR. So when you see renderings of a beach volleyball locker room, that's what uh, we're talking about. Um, It's in the bowels of DKR, but they're, they're doing amazing things, renovating they're renovating the UT club, that seventh floor and sixth floor on the east side. Um, they're going to be renovating more. I think it's ultimately going to hit the press box on the eighth floor, but 
I don't think we've heard about that yet. Um, possibly, so possibly an expanded bathroom. Just, just ask. Yeah. Just, just throw it out there. Just throw it out there. I mean, can we get like the press box to be a little <laughs> bit more open? Um, but we're not complaining. We're just not happy to cover the <clears throat> cover the teams. Thanks for the seats. Um, yeah. Basketball. Um, Texas basketball, we mentioned it, big game Saturday at Houston. And, you know, Dylan DeZue, I mean, he's kind of become this amazing story the last three halves, Eric. Uh, Rodney Terry got into him at halftime of the Iowa State game, said you're not being aggressive enough, and then he goes wild, scores 17 points in the final eight minutes of that game, helps cut an 18-point deficit down to three, and then comes out. You know, they lost that game, but comes out in the West Virginia game, goes eight of eight, including six of six from three to start that game. And this guy has turned into a beast. And it, you know, what a what a story for this guy, because he's come back from that foot surgery. It's a serious injury. They're managing his time in practice. But man. He is delivering, and we saw him do this at the end of last season in the Big 12 tournament when Ronnie Terry said, hey, Timmy Allen's hurt. Need more offense from you. Guy goes for 18-8, and eight, then goes into the NCAA tournament. He's averaging 22-10 and 10, uh, before he suffers that foot injury that would ultimately require surgery. So that's exciting. We know Max Asmus can get his shot, and Kendall Weaver's you know, giving you – good defensive energy and offensive rebounds. Dylan Mitchell's playing well. If Dylan Mitchell can sustain, maybe even elevate from here. Now we're talking about a, a dangerous Texas team instead of one that has no identity, right? No doubt about it, Chip. I will be on the scene at Fertitta Center in Houston. Uh, just quickly touch on, you know, Dylan DeSue. You hit the nail on the head. You talked about Rodney Terry emphasizing, or he talked about it. Rodney Terry emphasizing to him, hey, shoot the ball. You know, sometimes that early look in the shot clock is going to be the best look. Don't worry about, you know, dribbling and trying to penetrate into their defense. You're almost playing to their strengths, especially some of these big 12 defenses like an Iowa State or a Houston or a Baylor. Nah, if you got a good look, take that as opposed to, you know, giving them an opportunity to converge and, and all of a sudden we're out of whack and we're trying to find a shot late in the shot clock, right? So you have that RT mentioned, as I asked him, uh, and I appreciate you for pointing this out to me. You heard him say on the radio with Craig Way that, he felt the game against West Virginia was first four minutes of the game, best, arguably best four minutes of the season. And especially for a team that's had their struggles in the opening of games. I asked RT, what about that? He, he just talked about a litany of things that he kind of preaches, you know, defensive intensity, moving the ball around, coming out aggressive, right mindset, uh, you know, paying attention to the scouting report, all some, some of those things are probably cliche, but you know, some of them are probably true as well that they, they did at an excellent level. The obvious uh, thing to point out, is they'll be facing number three team in the nation in Houston as opposed to uh, a struggling West Virginia team. I, I think, Chip, in my mind, I really want to see, because we saw what this team could do, what they were able to do in the second half against Houston last time, right, which they fell in overtime. And they come out, listen, I, I'm almost going to liken this to a TCU game in a sense, in that you know you're going to have a crowd that – they're in the sense of TCU was the last time they were going to face Texas at home for a while. In this case, it'd been what I, I wrote about this and I can't remember the year. I want to say yeah, it was 2000. 2000, 2000, right. Or 2001, yeah. something around there. The last time years. 
yeah, the last time that they that they uh, played in Houston, right? So you know that crowd's gonna be fired up. Uh, we we remember what it was like, just you know them for football. So you know now they got the number three team in the nation. They certainly are gonna be feeling themselves. Can they sustain th- that inevitable first punch in the mouth that they're gonna feel and respond? If they can do that. All the things you mentioned, look out. This team will have a chance. But if they can't, you know, that one could get away from them. But overall, Chip, really pivotal stretch for them as far as their NCAA tournament hopes. I know we're going to talk about that and take it or leave it. So, yeah, be interested to see what happens come Saturday noon, CBS. Yeah, yeah, big, big, big game, big opportunity. Because after after this, you're looking at the the game against Kansas State, another team that's kind of like Texas. Um, and those are the games that Texas, that's a home game for Texas. Those are the kind of games they absolutely have to win. Because remember, Texas was the first team to win three Big 12 games on the road, but they were one in four in Big 12 games at home. It was weird. And now that they've beaten West Virginia, uh, they're two and four. Um, so let's see. Yeah, pivotal stretch, as you mentioned. Houston um, in Houston Saturday, then K-State for Big Monday at Moody, and then at Kansas the following Saturday. Uh, the Texas women roll on. They went <clears throat> They went to Houston and hammered um, a struggling uh, Cougars team. Madison Booker, unbelievable. Still not getting great shooting from Shaley Gonzalez, but they're getting Deanna Gaston's coming on and Aaliyah Moore continues to rebound really well. So um, they've got their, their inside presence and they've won three in a row um, after beating Baylor, Kansas state, now Houston. Um, and so Oklahoma just keeps winning. This is going to be interesting because remember Texas lost to OU in Austin and Texas will have to go to Norman. And that becomes almost a, must win uh, for the Texas women if they want to win the Big 12 regular season title. All right. And we mentioned Texas baseball, Texas baseball, uh, LeBaron Johnson taking the mound Friday against the University of San Diego. Uh, Let's see what David Pierce's team has going. And we will, um, we'll, we'll talk about that series next week on the flagship podcast. But Eric, you ready for some? Take it or leave it. As always, my favorite part of the show. I'm ready for some take it or leave it, Chip. All right. Well, then let's get to take it or leave it. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Welcome back. 
the flagship podcast. And if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, we will roll on with some take it or leave it, Eric. Who's given? Who's taken? I am going first. Okay, so I, I will go ahead and pass it off to you, Chip Brown. A little bit of you know, for those of you watching, you get a chance to see how, how this show is produced on the fly here, folks. We're just flying by the seat of our pants, having fun, but having a good time. <laughs> the first, take it or leave it, Chip. You were surprised that Texas had eleven players invited to the combine. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I'm going to take this because I, uh, you know, a guy like Keelan Robinson, you, you, you know, he doesn't have great numbers, but this to me is a testament to Steve Sarkeesian and his ability to, to develop offensive players. Plus Keelan Robinson uh, is a return specialist. We know those guys are valued. Um, Keelan's a tough physical player for his size and, course got coached by Nick Saban as well that doesn't hurt but I wouldn't have expected Keelan Robinson to get invited um, to the NFL combine there were years when when I thought there were Texas players who should have been invited to the NFL combine and weren't so again I think with Steve Sarkeesian running things his offensive players are always going to get the benefit of the doubt um so, yeah, I'm going to take this. Eric, how about you? I am going to leave – or, sorry, excuse me, take it that I was surprised. Yes, I'm going to take it that I was surprised. Um, I, I won't lie. The name that really jumps out to me, it's not that I think this person isn't an NFL player. I'm just surprised that they were invited as Keelan Robinson, right? Because, you know, Keelan is a guy – for the most part, you know his role. He's going to be a special teamer. You know what he's bringing to the table. I guess that's probably a byproduct as far as him getting an invite of just how impressed you know, NFL clubs and people, the decision makers at hand, are with the program that Steve Sarkeesian is running, right? Because you know he gets an invite over you know, some guys who are at a lower levels who were probably more productive, quote unquote, running backs, right? And I only mention that just because, you know, sometimes those guys kind of get the edge, right? You, the, the pro decision makers are a little bit curious. All right, well, if we have a guy from insert FCS team who ran for 2,200 yards, let's get him up here and see, see what he can do. But and you can always get that guy at pro day, right? Where as far as Keelan, maybe you're thinking, hey, we have a jack of all trades. The guy's in a lot of things. Let's get him there. So in that sense, I, I was surprised. That was the, the major name, Chip. So. All right. Take it or leave it. Number two, Eric. Byron Murphy. Defensive lineman extraordinaire for the Longhorns in the 2023 season. Will be Texas's highest drafted player. I am Take it. I am taking that chip and I, and I said this on, on radio today, uh, shout to the flagship station of Texas Longhorns AM 1300. Uh, I, I feel like I can make a case for Byron Murphy getting to the top 10. The only thing that gives me pause there is the amount of teams that are probably looking for quarterbacks. And this is, you know, inevitably chip every draft ends up, whether it's, whether it should be or it shouldn't be every draft inevitably you end up finding five, or six quarterbacks who go in the top 15, right? When in actuality, you probably should only have like two, you know? Um, so you know that there are teams who, who need quarterbacks and you, that's not even accounting a guy like a Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, who you know is going to go in the top 10 as well. So we shall see. But yes, I do think he will be Texas's highest, highest drafted player. What about you, Chip? Well, I'm trying to find this great picture of 
our man Murph Dog. I think I found it. Because in this picture, he looks like freaking Aaron Donald. And you and I know Byron Murphy. He is, he's got that edge all the time. If you're watching us on the YouTube channel, I just showed you the uh, workout uh, photo of, of Byron Murphy where he literally does look like Aaron Donald. Um, he's got that edge, man. Um, I've, I've loved this dude from the time he came in as a freshman because I remember Keandre Coburn coming over and saying, no one can, no one can block this guy. It was like, well, maybe he should be playing more, um, you know, but yeah, I, I think his stock is going up. I agree with you. Uh, it would not shock me. Um, it is a draft heavy on quarterbacks. When that happens, other Positions tend to get pushed down, but defensive linemen, this guy's a 10-year player in the NFL. So a smart team will take him probably somewhere between 8 and 15. All right. All right. I'm just taking it. Bring us home here. As of now, it's currently constituted. Texas men's basketball makes the NCAA tournament. Take it or leave it, Chip. This is our weekly question because Rodney Terry's team did some boneheaded things earlier in the year, like losing a 16-point lead at home to your Central Florida Knights, Eric Henry. Um, and then RT lost his mind in the handshake line and became a laughing stock. So my gut feeling is this Texas basketball team, as of right now, is trending in the right direction because Dylan DeZue is starting to play like, I don't know, the best three-point shooter on the basketball team at six foot nine. Um, and the pick and roll between Dylan DeZue and Max Asmus is a problem for teams. You know, when you've got a six nine guy who he's hitting 56% of his threes and he's shot 55 threes. Um, what are we doing? We're gonna we're gonna trap, we're gonna we're going to go over the the uh, the screen or we're going under the screen because either way, Dylan DeZue is going. He can go to the rack. Uh, we know Ace Smith can get to the rack. So I'm going to take this, Eric, but ask me again next week. How about you? First off, they are, are not my UCF Knights. They're Chip Brown's UCF Knights. I kid. That's a, a inside joke between Chip and I. For those of you listening, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, uh, I predicted Central Florida would upset Kansas State in football, which did not happen, and so they became my Central Florida Knights. <laughs> even though Eric's parchment says it's Central Florida, it, it, it does. It is the University of Central Florida. Um, no, Chip. I, I first off, I I am going to take it, and uh, here's why. I do think this team is going to end up winning eight games in conference right now. They are five and six. Uh, if you take a look at the history chip, you know, um, Tyrese Hunter was a part of a team that went under 500 in conference play in Iowa state that made it to the big dance, end up winning two games. Tyrese Hunter won two games in Milwaukee, right? His hometown. Uh, there was a Mississippi state team the year before chip that went seven and 11 in conference play. I'm only mentioning that is to say whichever league you take a look historically, if you send eight or you send nine, you're going to end up with a team that is sub 500 in conference play. That Mississippi State team, by the way, Chip got drubbed 
in their opening round SEC tournament game. So it wasn't even like they won a game in the in the SEC tournament. They they lost. Remember, sure, if you're correct, it was by 31, right? So you can put together a, a measure of a resume, and I do think Chip, based on the three and three that Texas put together in that eight, uh, six game stretch of facing uh, six, excuse me, six game stretch of facing uh, AP top 25 teams. I think there is enough there. Now they can't fall flat on their face, right? They, they have to win the games that they have to win. They should win. Um, but I, I think somehow this team finds a way to get to eight and 10. If they can win a game in conference in Kansas city, I think that almost assures them a spot in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. The remaining home games are Kansas state. Who's been up and down Oklahoma state. Who's the bottom feeder of the league. And OU, who Texas has owned. So you win those three, you get to eight and 10. And look, their adjusted offensive efficiency right now is 18th. That's awesome. It's their defensive, their adjusted defensive efficiency, which is 56, which is holding them back. Um, And if they keep moving in the right direction, Dylan Mitchell, uh, Kendall Weaver, guys hitting the boards. You know what was weird about the West Virginia game? Dylan DeZue was 7 of 10 from 3 and 29 points. He had one rebound. Yeah. And, like, Tyrese Hunter and Kendall Weaver and Max Ace-Masich had, like, 5 and 6 rebounds. So, you know, Houston, they send everybody to the glass. And and Texas held up okay. So let's see let's see how this team is progressing. The sign of a well coached team is week to week improvement. Let's see if Rodney Terry's club can show us some of that. All right, kids. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Flagship Podcast. Good times here with my man Eric Henry. Uh, I am Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at Horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith.